Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians today and then next week. Then we're going to talk about Christmas. Um, then we're going to go back to Ephesians. Lord willing, um, we're going to finish Ephesians up the end of January, the 1st of February, and then we're going to start something new. So that's kind of the, the plan. That means I have to stay on schedule, which is very difficult. It means that I have printed out on the back of my door, these are the passages you have to preach on to make this happen. So you've got to get so far every week in order to make it happen. Um, I have to do that near the end of a, season, of a message because, it, you know, it's too far out the other way. So um, we're in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 5. First three chapters, and it's very important to lay out the groundwork for what God did when you became a Christian. Um, and all that God did in saving you and sealing you and forgiving you and redeeming you. And so this book is written to people who are Christians. When he gets to chapter 4, he talk, starts talking about the idea of how you grow. And, and, and it's assumed that when you, because you became a Christian, that you're going to grow up, that you're going to mature, that you're not going to stay the same, that you're going to continue to make progress as you grow. And we believe the Christian life is a journey. We believe that all of us um, are at different spots in that journey. Um, and so we have talked about the things that God wants you to do. And chapter 4 introduces this idea, and it kind of, it's going to continue kind of on in 5 and 6 too. This idea of put off, put on. That there are certain things you get rid of, and, and any time you get rid of something, the biblical principle is any time you get rid of something, you have to replace it with something. There's a, there's a grave danger in just getting rid of something in your life and not putting something in its place. And Matthew 12 tells us that um, when you do that, when you don't put something in your place, sometimes you can find yourself worse off than, when you got rid, than before you got rid of it. So the principle is when you, when, you, when you take something out of your life, you have to replace it with something else. Um, and so he's dealt with a lot of that put off, put on. You've had a chance all week to practice that because you were with friends and relatives. Um, stuck in a house, and so, you know, you had to try to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving and loving and uh, all of those kinds of things. And, and so you had to put away some of those things that, that in the past have kind of tripped you up maybe at a holiday. This morning, and we ended last week with this idea that Paul said, um, you've got to walk in love. When we get to the passage this morning... You need to know that this is a this is a tough one in 2018. It's tough for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's a tough subject to talk about in a mixed congregation with all ages. Okay, so I have to I have to try to do my best to understand that we have children here, so we have to present things in a in, in a way that doesn't create a problem for parents. Um, and at the same time, I think it's really important that our kids, and particularly our teenagers and our college and our young people, have the foundation we're going to talk about this morning, because this is a big issue, okay? And this passage opens up a whole lot of problems, because it is so misunderstood, because people take passages like this out of context. You have always heard me talk about the idea that you need to understand your Bible in context. One of the reasons that I preach the way I do, which in, in preaching circles, it's called expository preaching. The idea of taking a verse, going verse by verse, word by word, explaining it and applying it and building all the way through. 
The reason I do that is because it is very difficult in preaching like that to pull something out of a context. You have to make sure it fits here with something that happened in chapter 1, 2, or 3, or 4, or whatever else. That, that, that you, get, you get the big picture as well as the specific picture. And that's going to be really, really important this morning. And as we get into chapter, end chapter 5 and chapter 6, because a lot of that's pulled out of context as well. So, with that in mind, let's remember, let, let me lay some groundwork first. Let's remember a couple of things. Paul is writing to Christians, okay? That's important. And he's writing to Christians who were in Ephesus. They had no Bible background. Many of them were former Gentile people. They lived and practiced everything that was going on in Ephesus. Um, they didn't have a Jewish context or a Bible basis for what they believed. They were pagans. They, they did everything that the people of Ephesus did. And so Paul has written to them and said, in chapter, starting in chapter 4, you need to grow up, you need to mature, you need to be different. You're God's holy people, you're set apart. God wants you to be different. And then, in chapter 5, we talked about last week, he said, you need to walk in love. Now, to you and I, that's, we understand that, right? But what if the only thing you knew about love was immorality? What if the only thing you knew about love was um, a physical context of love with no boundaries? What if you were living in a place where the emperor, the leader, the Roman leader at the time, not only was a practicing homosexual, but was in a relationship with his mother. And you were told to walk in love. And that's all you knew. So Paul, when he gets to this passage, has to explain that to people. What he means when he says walk in love. In a proper biblical way. And that's what he's going to do in this passage. So with that in mind, let's jump into Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Here's what he says. But among you, again, he's talking to Christians at Ephesus, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, which is odd. Why do you throw greed in there? We'll talk about that. It's very important because it does fit. Because these are improper for God's holy people. So the first thing Paul talks about is their actions. He's, again, he tells them to walk in love, and now he's going to do this parenthesis here. And he's going to say, okay, so let's talk about this love thing for a minute. So from a, as a Christian, he says there not, not be even a hint of sexual immorality. This word is the word porneia. We get our English word pornography from it. It has to do with any kind of sexual immorality. It just wide, I mean, it's just wide open. It's not just one type. It's anything to do with that, okay? Or any kind of impurity. There's a great word picture that goes along with this word in the Greek language, and that word picture is pus. So I have, your, about a, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I ended up with a sliver in my finger, a, a, a splinter, and I haven't gotten it out yet, and it's all festered. Can you imagine me saying, okay, come here, everybody. Here, I want to show you something. Let's watch this. Ooh, isn't that cool? Nobody wants to be around that, right? Nobody wants to see that, right? And Paul says, look, for a Christian, 
We don't want to be around the ucky stuff. He said, he said, that doesn't need to be a part of your life. And he goes on to say, or of greed. Now, why in the world, in talking about love, would you throw in this issue of greed? And different commentators believe different things. Some people believe, well, it's because he is in the context of immorality. Others believe, no, it's, greed is just simply a wanting something or wanting someone that you're not allowed to have. And Paul says, look, that doesn't need to be part of your life as a child of God. And here's why. He said, because these are improper for who? For God's holy people. Don't get all hung up on holy. All holy means is set apart. We've talked about this. Paul's writing to these people and he says, look, I understand the world you lived in before. But you're now a child of God who's growing up to being what God wants him to be. And because of that, there are certain things that are now going to be different. And when it comes to this issue of love, I don't want you to love like you used to love. Because that was wrong. That's immoral. I want you to learn to love in a different way. And he talks about this. He says, so those things that you used to do, get rid of them. And he's going to tell us what we replace it with. And when he tells us what to replace it with, it's going to seem like it doesn't fit. But believe me, it does. He's going to say, get rid of those. Now he's going to talk about how they should talk. And listen to what he says next. So he says, okay, that's how you act. And he says, now, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or court jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So Paul lays this thing out now, and he says, okay, let's talk about how you talk. He said, obscenity. Obscenity is the idea of filthiness, disgraceful, indecent, shameful. He said, as a Christian, you don't need to be talking like that. Um, okay, I'm going to meddle, but we're either going to grow up and be the kind of people we are, we're supposed to be with God, or we're not. Okay? Cuss words don't have any place in the life of a believer. We talk about being Christian, but there are many people who use God or Jesus or OMG or whatever else, and we use those words without thinking about them. But the Bible is very, very clear about the reflection of our speech. And Paul says obscenity doesn't have part, doesn't, does not to be a part of the life of a believer. We are to be different. He goes on. He talks about the idea of foolish talking. Literally, we get our English word moron from that word foolish talking. And a moron is simply somebody, and again, I'm not talking about how we use it today, but a moron was somebody, somebody who did not believe in the morals that God had established. They said, you know what, that's silly. I know that's what the Bible says, but who cares? And Paul says, we don't, we don't, foolish talking, we don't do that. We don't, we don't, we're not, we're not morons when it comes to the, the morality that God has established for us. And then he goes on and takes a more, or coarse joking. Literally, the idea here is saying something that has a double meaning. You see this on TV all the time, where there is somebody who, who says something one way, but you know that there is a, another meaning behind it that means something completely different, and usually it's something that God's not pleased with. Paul says, that's not 
what we need to be doing. Because notice what he says is, they are out of place. Are you and I as Christians? If, if we're God's holy people, God's set-apart people, people who are doing it differently, people who are, who, are, who are supposed to be acting and speaking differently, it doesn't fit with us. And then he throws in this, and we're going to talk about this, we're going to spend a lot of time on this at the end, but I don't want to spend it all now. He talks about doing away with all of this stuff, and notice what he says replace it with. What do you replace it with? Does that make sense? Stop being immoral, but be thankful. It makes perfect sense. We're going to talk about why in the end. Paul says, this is crazy, one of the ways we combat immorality in our life and in our culture is with thanksgiving. We'll dive into that at the end here. But no, I want to keep going. Okay, verse 5, here's what he said. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. He says, if people who do those things, it's idolatry. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't even be partners with them. Now, all of a sudden now, I got everybody's attention. Okay? Because notice what he says. Immoral. And you're going, I got that one covered. I'm not immoral. Impure. I'm good there. Greedy. has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So let's talk about this before we go too much farther, okay? Paul calls them an idolater, and here's why. An idolater is somebody who has worshipped a thing or another person as God and refuses to acknowledge God as God. You say, is the Bible teaching that these people can't go to heaven? Yes. They go, wait a minute. minute. I didn't say people who struggle with this. But people who have said, I am going to pursue my immorality regardless of what God says. I'm going to pursue my greed regardless of what God says. I'm I'm going to pursue an impure world regardless of what God says. Has no part in the kingdom of God. We're not talking about, again, Paul's writing this to Christian people. He's not talking to Christian people who are struggling in these issues. That's a whole different world. He's talking about people who have said, I have chosen that over God. And anyone who chooses anything over God, not part of, not, not part of God's kingdom. Why? Because the whole idea of putting my faith and trust in Christ is the idea that I want God, I want to do God's way, not my way. I want to do everything I can to please God. Not, it's not about me anymore, it's about what God wants for my life. That's a true, genuine believer. First John is filled with passages about, even if you say this and do this, then you need to check your salvation. Because a genuine person, a genuine believer, somebody who has been sealed and adopted and forgiven and redeemed, They have a desire 
to please God. And Paul says, those are the kind of people that are full of the kingdom of heaven. Those are the kind of people that are going to be in heaven with it. People who have put Jesus Christ first, people who have followed him, people who want what's best, what he wants for their lives. Not people who are going around and saying, you know what, it's all about me, I don't care about God. That's what he's saying here. And notice what he says. He says, there's any, any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And then notice what he said. Because this is important. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Paul says, you need to be very careful about what your culture is teaching you. Again, he's talking to people who were in a, a culture of Ephesus. I understand that some of you, particularly those of you who are older, you are overwhelmed by the immorality that you see in the United States. Because you knew a time when there was a set of morals in this country. And you look at what's happening now, and, I mean, you know, when you grew up, um, Dick Van Dyke, they, they slept in two separate beds. And that was revolutionary that we even showed a bedroom scene versus what's happening today on TV. Um, you know, I mean, you know, you grew up in a world where they, they were not even allowed to kiss on TV. Uh, much less show all the other things that are being shown on TV today. And so you look at it now and you go, you know, we've gone down the tubes. We've gone. I understand where you're coming from, but let me explain to you this in the historical context. The world that Paul is talking to right here, we have not even come close. We still have a long way to go before we get to the world that it was like when Paul wrote this passage in Ephesus, they have thought of things that we have not even gone to yet, as crazy as it sounds. So we still have a ways to go before we get to the Ephesus kind of world. So when Paul writes to them and says, look, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. All the things that you're hearing today have been taught for 2,000 plus years, okay? And we're going to deal with a couple of them in a minute. Because such things... God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. He says, look, you know, you, you can't do that and God not deal with it. And then he goes on to say this, and don't even be partners with him. So let's talk about what all this means, how we apply it. You're going, wow, what a Thanksgiving message. Awesome. Um, we're going to get there. Trust me. Hey, trust me. We're going to get there. Okay. But I want to deal with this because we're here. That's one of the reasons I like this kind of preaching is you don't get a pick and choose. You, if it's there, you've got to deal with it. So let's deal with it. Okay? Let's talk about the empty words that are being taught today to our kids, our college age, our 20 and 30-year-olds. Um, those of you who are in your 40s and 50s, unknowingly, you may have adopted some of these concepts. Um, those of you who are in your 60s or 70s, you're probably set in your ways and not too much going to rattle you. So anyway... Um, but here's where, let me just address some of the things that are happening, some of the things that you are being taught, some of the empty words that our culture is dealing with when it comes to this idea of immorality, particularly in the area of physical intimacy, okay? So with that in mind, let's talk about some, some things you're being told. You are being told that if two people love each other, they should be able to do whatever they want to do as long as they are consenting adults in a loving relationship. That's what you're being told. You need to be very careful with that line of thought. And let me explain to you why. 
Many people will adapt that line of thought, and they will do it in the context of applying it specifically to LGBT situations. But you don't get to make that choice. If you're going to lay that as a foundation for why people should be able to do what they want to be able to do, you can't put parameters on it. Romans 1 is very, very clear. If you're going to adopt that philosophy, you want to know where it ends? Incest and bestiality. Oh, that's horrible. I'll never, never say, no, no, wait a minute. If you're going to go down the road, that has to be acceptable too. Because it's, it's the same line of thinking. It's the same empty words that our society is teaching you. And I have people, good people, who are sitting back and not thinking it all the way through and realizing, oh, wait a minute, now all of a sudden, oh, I don't want to go, oh, I wouldn't go that far with You don't get that choice. Kids, you don't get that choice. When people start teaching you that, when you start embracing that, you have opened Pandora's box. And you have got to understand that. Why? Because they're empty words. Um, You are taught, we are taught right now as a culture, here's another one um, that we're taught. Um, We are taught this idea You don't understand. I was born this way. My environment has shaped me. Because I was born this way, then I should be able to act on the way that I was born. That's what you're told. All right? Let's talk about that for a second. I was born selfish. From the moment I came out of the womb, it was all about me. Ah, change me. Ah, feed me. Ah, hold me. Still want me to be that way? I mean, I was born that way. No, we expect people to make choices, right? Um, people say, you know, well, you don't understand. I, I was born that way. I can't help myself. Okay? Let's embrace it. Let's embrace the empty thinking of the world. So why is it wrong for someone who was born to kill to kill? can't help themselves. They were acting on their urges. You see, it doesn't hold up. Let me give you a solid, really solid biblical thinking here. You were born a sinner and the enemy of God. That's how you were born. You made a choice to accept Christ and become a child of God. See, your life is not about how you were born. Your life is about choices you make. That's an important distinction to make. That's the biblical foundation for what you you do in life. You are a result of your choices, not a result of your environment. You go, well, shouldn't we provide a great environment? Yes, but you know what? An environment may help someone or hurt someone, but it does not determine what someone does. You go, well, case in point. Adam and Eve were put in a perfect environment created by God with no flaws. And they made a choice to turn their back on all of it. It's not about your environment, it's about your choices. The empty thinking of the world says, 
it's my environment. It's the way I was born. It's just the way I should do it. No, 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 no. That's not what God says. Third one, and I'll give you enough to chew on for the whole week and get mad at me. But uh, here's a third one. Physical intimacy as part of love is a biological process. It's just biology. It doesn't mean anything. It's just biology. And just like I have biological processes in my body, like I need to eat, I need to have physical intimacy. Doesn't, we're not going to put rules and regulations on it. I mean, I know the Bible does that. I mean, the Bible says, hey, it's got to stay within the bounds of marriage. But, you know, I mean, I understand. You know, that's, that's old thinking. That's, 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 that, no, nobody does that anymore. Um, because, after all, it's, it's biology. I mean, we have to know if we're physically compatible. All right, let's talk about it for a second. First of all, you need to understand that sin is sin. But you need to understand that different sins have different consequences. And you need to understand that physical intimacy outside the bonds of marriage, the Bible is very, very clear, is in a category of sin that is very unique. Because the Bible says that sin is a sin unto your own body. It does something to your soul. It takes a part of you away. That's what the Bible teaches. You take the relationship that God established in marriage, you take it outside of marriage, you need to understand it's not just biology. There is a whole set of things that go with that issue called love. And you're just focusing on one part of it. And you're trying to say, because again, empty words, this is, this is what Satan does. Satan tries to sell you the idea that it's no big deal and sell you the idea that, you know what, it's, everything's okay because it's, it, he doesn't put it within the context of the whole. Um, so I, uh, people go, well, you, shouldn't be, you, know, you, you shouldn't tell us what we should do. We should be able to do whatever we want. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. It's a biological process. Okay, okay, stop for a second. Think about Thanksgiving. Okay? Thanksgiving, you took part in a biological process. You ate. Were there any rules? Were there any guidelines? Why did you have rules and guidelines on how you ate? I mean, I mean honestly, if it's just a biological process, the bottom line is people should have been just shoving food down their throat and not even letting it get to the table and why do we use utensils and why do we sit down and why do we have all these rules regarding this biological process? It's kind of common sense, isn't it? Can you imagine Thanksgiving? If all of a sudden, as food is coming out to the table, people are diving onto the platter, pulling stuff off and eating with their hands and going, it's a biological process, don't worry about it. Don't put any rules on it. We don't need any restrictions. What do you mean pass it? It's there. I'm after it. C.S. Lewis said it best. C.S. Lewis, I think, had the best analogy on this. And he used this eating analogy. He said, the process of eating involves a whole bunch of things. He said, you take it and you put it in your mouth and you taste it. You chew it up. You digest it. As you digest it, your body pulls off nutrients for it and then expends what it doesn't need. When you take 
one aspect of love, physical intimacy, and you say, that is love. He said, the analogy would be like you sitting down to a meal and saying, tasting is eating. And so you put something in your mouth, you taste it, you spit it back out. You put something in your mouth, you taste it, you spit it back out. And that is the whole precedent. Then you walk away from a table and you go, I just ate. And he goes, his argument goes like this. He said, you would never do that because that's not eating, that's tasting. You are focusing on one small part of a much bigger thing. And he says, in the same way, when you say physical intimacy is love, you are focusing on one part of it and making that small part the whole. And he said, love is about so much more than just a physical intimacy. It is about emotions, and it is about serving, and it is about companionship, and it is about putting the other person first, and it is about kindness and tenderness and compassion and all of those things. And that's, what it, that's why it's so important that you don't just go, and, and, and kids, those of you who are younger, listen to me. Don't let the empty words of the world tell you that this is love. But we have it bombarded with us all the time. Paul says, look, as Christians, as holy people of God, as people who are set apart, as people who are different, you need to think about this different. And when the world has its empty words, you need to stop and think about it. So how do you deal with that? You go, okay, pastor, so how do I combat all the craziness of the world? How do I combat the immorality and all of that? He tells you here, put that off and put on, what did he say? Thanksgiving. Now you go, how in the world does that fit? Here's how it fits. And here's the beauty of this. And here's how important this is. When you are thankful, you are acknowledging that what you have is from someone else. It's not yours. You have a responsibility to someone else. You acknowledge that what you have been given is something that you didn't deserve or earn. But it has been given freely to you. People miss this. But you need to think about this for a second. In the Garden of Eden... In the first temptation, when Satan comes along to test and tempt Eve, what does he do? What's the first thing he says? Hath God said? Did God really say that? Eve, do you really think that God wants your best interests at heart? God's not being good to you. In fact, Eve, God's holding something back from you. Because God's scared. And God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him, and you'll know as much as he does, and he doesn't want that for you, and so he's holding back. He's not being good to you, Eve. He's not caring about you, Eve. And Eve steps back and goes, sure. And Adam steps back and goes, you know what, sounds good to me. Why? Because they stopped acknowledging the goodness of God to them and they started questioning whether or not God was being good and fair and kind and just to them. Romans chapter 1 talks about the degradation of a culture. And it talks about the progress 
of what happens when a culture starts to go by its way. And you can literally, you can look at, you can read Romans chapter 1, and you can look at America, and you can see exactly where we are on their chart. is go boom, 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 boom. we still got a couple more steps to go. But what a lot of people don't realize is at the end of Romans chapter 1, here's what it says. You know why those things happened? Because they did not acknowledge God, and they weren't thankful. It's ironic that all of the immoral things he lists in Romans chapter 1, he comes to the end and says, one of the reasons cultures go down this is they don't acknowledge God and they're not grateful for what they've been given. This idea of gratitude is huge for you and I if we're going to be different, if we're going to sidestep the immorality of the world, if we're going to talk differently. We have to really step back and say, this grateful thing, we have, to, we have to work it into our lives that we start seeing everything from the context of gratefulness rather than anger or bitterness. Because the second you start questioning God's goodness to you, you open a door for Satan to go running through. Paul here says, one of the things to these people, be grateful. Think about this for a second. Let's just talk about some ways that we, we don't do this. Let's talk about things that get us upset. That slow waiter or waitress who's waiting on us while we're sitting there for a meal. I mean, how dare they? Don't they know I'm paying them good money for this meal? Okay, stop. Time out. Let's just think about this for a minute. You're sitting in a place where somebody's taking care of you, where somebody's making your meal, where somebody's going to put it in front of you, where somebody's going to pick it up and clean the plates, and all you've got to do is walk in and walk out. Really? You really want to be ungrateful? I mean, just think about that for a second. Oh, you can't believe it. I can't believe it. I mean, doctors today, do you know how hard it is? I've waited like three weeks to get that appointment with a doctor. Time out. Time out. Do you know what a blessing it is to have access to any kind of health care? Do you know how many people don't have access to health care? Well, you can't believe the taxes I pay. Every time I turn around, everybody... Look, I'm all for you. I don't want to give the government a dime more than I have to give the government, okay? I believe that I'm going to give Caesar what's Caesar's, but I'm not going to give him a dime more than what's Caesar's, okay? Um, I get the paying taxes, but do you understand that because of those taxes, you've got decent roads, you've got... You've got police and ambulance and fire and access to all of these things because of that? You know, oh, I can't believe it. You know, my, my tractor, my this, it broke down. Time out. You have access to A, you have it, so you're not out there with a horse. You have access to it. Secondly, you've got all kinds of people that can fix it for you. You can order most parts on the phone and in some cases have them delivered to you. Come on. Really? When I want something, all I have to do is say, Alexa. And I can have it delivered to me. I'm at a point, I mean, this is how bad it is. I'm not saying you go down this road. This is the road I've chosen to go down. I got tired of taking a big box of toilet paper and carrying it to my car. And I found out 
that my UPS guy will bring it to me. And I only have to carry it from the garage to the house now. You're going, you are lazy. No, I'm just smart, you know. Um, I'm efficient, you know. Um, You know, I mean, you know, oh, no, it's, it's so hard. I have to take out the trash. You're not eating from the trash can. You're taking out stuff that you had access of. You know how hard it is to do dishes? It's, it's hard to load the dishwasher. I understand, okay? Or unload it, you know? You don't, you, you, you don't know if my spouse would just do half the things that I want them to do. To, look, they married you. I mean, come on. They are a saint already. You know? I mean, I mean, you know, really, come on, folks. And we become so ungrateful. And one of the things Paul says is he says, look, you need to approach life with the issue of Thanksgiving. So whatever it is you're here this morning and you're complaining about or you're upset about or whatever else that's in your craw, listen, stop and spin it. Spin it in the direction of this is what you have to be grateful for. Spin it in the area of how much you've been given. Because when you do that, you start to realize, God has done so much for me and is so good for me. And I'm accountable to him. And I want to please him with my life. And I want to honor him with my life. And I want my speech and my actions to reflect that. But people who don't do that become greedy and immoral and focused on themselves. And all of those things that Paul said, that was part of your old life. It doesn't need to be part of your new life. And one of the ways we combat it is with gratefulness. I mean, a third of the world lives on less than $2 a day. You sitting here this morning. We have teenagers sitting here this morning. We have kids sitting here this morning. They get more in allowance in a given week than people in the world live off of. You're going, I don't get an allowance. You know, you know, and kids don't go home and tell your parents a preacher said you should get an allowance. Okay, um, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that's where we are. It's where we are as a culture. Don't feel guilty for that. I, I, you, for whatever reason, God, in His sovereignty and in His goodness and in His mercy and in His kindness, has decided to give you more than He has a third of the people on this planet, at least. Don't feel guilty for it, but don't gripe about it either, okay? Be a good steward of it. Realize you and I got to get up today breathing. You may hurt, and you may have this going on and that going on. I get all of that, but you know what? You got to be here this morning. You got to get up. That's God's grace. That's God's goodness. Be grateful for what we have. And the other issue is this. This idea of being a holy people, a set of property, literally, here's, what, here's the idea behind it, what Paul is saying is this. We ought to be refreshing to people. Because that's the way the world is. When they come in contact with us, our speech should be above board. Our speech should be such that whatever joke we tell, they can go home and tell their four or five-year-old. Our speech should be such that when we're talking, 
we don't have to filter out who's in the group that we're, we're with. Our actions should be such that when people look at us, they go, you know what, they act differently. You know, they, they, they're not greedy. They're not immoral. They're not embracing things because God has set a standard and they are embracing a different set of standards than everybody else I know is. And it's refreshing. Have you ever been around somebody who's refreshing? Let me tell you something. Have you been around whiners and complainers and then you go to somebody who's grateful and thankful? Oh, what a difference. What a difference. And I'm telling you, here's what I will think you will find. You find you will enjoy life so much more. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not bragging about it. I'm just telling you what we did. This started as a fluke a number of years ago for us. Um, I, I know... You should know I'm not a normal person, okay? You should know that. If you don't know that, you haven't been around me long enough, okay? You will, okay, at some point, you'll walk away from getting to know me and going, you know, it's not just something, that guy's off. Somehow, he's just off. Because it is. But anyway, I, one of my favorite days of the entire 365 days of the year is Black Friday. I love Black Friday. I have watched Black Friday ads for over a month, waiting for them to come online so I could see what was going to be for sale. I was in line at 5.30 Friday morning because I wanted a snowblower. Never had a snowblower. But in order to get a snowblower, I knew there was going to be so many, and I had to be in line early. And I was in line early, and I got my snowblower. But anyway, um, and I hope that I never, ever use it. But... uh, But here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. I I love Black Friday. I just, just... and I watched my kids for years have to work Black Friday when they worked at Best Buy. And I knew how long the day. They go in at like 2 o'clock in the morning, get the store all set up, and then it would open at 5 or 6, and there's a big long line, and people were mad and angry, and <clears throat> they would just treat them horrible and stuff like that. And so I just decided that for some reason, I read it somewhere or saw it somewhere, that we were going to make Black Friday different. So a couple of years ago, we started putting together these little bags of candy. So on Thanksgiving Day, after we had Thanksgiving with the family, we all sat down on the floor. We put together these little bags, and we put a note in it. And the note basically says something like this. It said, um, I want to thank you for coming into work today and doing your job. And I know that today can be a really long day. But hopefully this will help you get through it, and we hope you have a great day. Jim, Gene, uh, Josh, Alex, Aaron, JT, and Claire. And any time Black Friday, somebody would wait on us. Every time we'd check out, we'd hand them a bag of candy. You cannot imagine the responses that we got all day long. And people going, thanks for thinking of me. I was talking to a guy at Fleet Farm. I was at Fleet Farm, and we had a big, long line. We got, finally got up, and I talked to the guy. And I said, okay, so, so how's your day going? He goes, this is insane. I said, how long was the line? He said, the line started at the front of the store, went all the way to the end, and then started wrapping around. And I said, what in the world was Fleet Farm selling that everybody's in line for? He says, you're not going to believe this. He said, we were giving away a little stuffed animal to the first 500 people. He said, we had people. He said, I've had three people that came in just for that stuffed animal. I went, that's nuts. He goes, yes, it is. And so as we're talking to him, and I handed him a bag of candy, I said, look, I know how hard today can be and everything else. We just want you to know there's some of us. We appreciate what you're doing. And I said, and I know you can get some really nasty people 
really mean to you today. I said, I want you to know everybody's not that way uh, when you do it. This guy looked at me and he said, believe it or not. Now this was, I don't know, we were there at what, 7.30, o'clock? 7.30, 8 o'clock. And he looked at me and he said, believe it or not, I've already had four or five of those people this morning. No, that were mean. Yeah, that were mean. Not good people. I mean, mean people. Yeah, yeah. I had one lady, one girl at Target. I, I, had, a, I had a coffee cup. I had a, my Starbucks coffee cup, and I needed to throw it away. And I asked her, I said, is there a trash can handy? The cashier next to it, she goes, she goes, here, you just use mine. Throw it in there. So I handed her a bag of candy, and she's like, really? For me? I said, yeah, it's for you. She goes, that is awesome. She says, nobody does this to us. And it's like, you know what? I, it, it cost me 15, 20 bucks of candy. We probably, I don't know, Claire ate a bunch of it. Um, <laughs> I would have put together her bags, but it was such a simple little thing to realize that these people were there so I could shop that day. And I just wanted to know, I appreciated them coming in because I've watched how people treated my kids over the years. And it made me more grateful for them and it allowed me to be a refreshing spot in their ugly day. And I just wonder if we could do that all year long. As Christians, when people come in contact with us, they find a bit of refreshment in the way we talk to them and treat them and honor them and walk in love towards them because we are grateful for what we have. That's what we need to do. That's why when Paul talks about all the ugliness that he wants these people to stay away from, he says one of the ways to do that is to be grateful. To step back and realize just how much and how good it has been, God has been to us. And I want to challenge you. That's my challenge this week for you, is that as you come in contact with people, they will find you to be refreshing in dealing with you. We're going to go to Minneapolis, and those of you who have been with us to Minneapolis know. What a lot of people don't realize is because there's so much going on there, they have to hire people from the outside to come in and help run stuff where they have people that have got to be there for eight hours or ten hours or that kind of thing. There's not enough volunteers. So they have to hire people. They have to hire security. They have to hire all these things for these people to come in. My goal when I go is to make them remember us and have a great time in working with us. And we joke and we laugh and we do all kinds of stuff because we want to be... They see Christian groups all day long. But we want to stand out. First of all, because we're goofy as all get out. But third, secondly, because we want to stand out because we want them to know. We appreciate what they're doing here today. And I want to challenge you. Be in be grateful this week for all you've been given. You've been given so much. And be refreshing to the people around you. And be careful with the empty words the world will try to sell you this week. So I end with this. Paul reminds us to act in ways that reflect the moral standards that God's established. In our actions and our words, we are to reflect God. Thankfulness is a key to becoming the mature Christians that God desires for us to become. May your presence be refreshing to the people God brings into your path this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. 
Lord, there's a lot of ugliness around us. There's a lot of immorality. There's a lot of uh, a world that wants nothing to do with you. And Lord, we have an opportunity to show them a different way. We have the opportunity, Lord, to be grateful people when everybody around us is complaining. We have the opportunity, Lord, to be and demonstrate love in a way that the world doesn't understand. So, Lord, help us to do that this week. And, Lord, as we come to the end of this week, may we be able to look back in ways that you have used us to encourage and to be a blessing to the people that you have put into our path. And, Lord, in doing so, may they see you in us, these things we ask in our name, in your name. Amen.